What? I think you dropped your Bible. That's not mine. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you drop it. No, that's not mine. Get out of here. It's one of those exciting adventures my family and I got to go on as we headed out to Santa Barbara to chase down the monarch butterflies. And even though we didn't find a single monarch butterfly anywhere in Santa Barbara, we wound up at the mission, seeing some awesome rainbows and some gorgeous sights and some cool things and headed out of there and went down to the main road where the restaurants were and all the shops. And as we're walking along and the night's coming, we're enjoying ourselves laughing, but my son Nathaniel is having a harder and harder time. You see, there are more and more homeless people kind of showing up, asking for money, asking for food, just trying to talk to themselves as they're walking by. He's getting more and more uncomfortable and more and more frustrated. And so, you know, my wife and I trying to challenge him and encourage him, hey, they're made in the image of God. These guys are, are human beings. We can love on them. Don't worry about them. They're not going to hurt you. He finally gets kind of the courage up. And as we're walking by one man who's sitting or actually laying down on the side of a, a building and we come past him, my, my son Nate looks at him, raises his hand, says, hi. And the man literally looks him straight in the eyes and says, you're not my friend. Uh, needless to say, my son Nate does not like to say hi to many homeless people and all the work we did kind of got reversed, right? Because sometimes when you're working on the heart, the world around you doesn't want to work with you. And the same thing is true as we're working on the book of Jonah here. See, we have a no Lord attitude that's going on and God is trying to work out of our church, work out of Olive Branch, work out of me, work out of all of us. And there can be a resistance as we see things get worse in our environment and all these different things happening. But God's trying to shape us. He's trying to remind us of the simple truth of this whole book, that God loves to rescue rebels at their worst. But here's the problem. We just don't always like it. That's right. God loves to rescue rebels at their worst, but as Jonah has shown us and will show us even more, we just don't always like that. We just don't always want to be a part of that. And we may resist that mission, and we may have that no Lord attitude, and we want to push it away. And, um, you know, the world doesn't help as God's trying to work against this. And as we pick up with Jonah, Jonah's in one of those scenarios. In fact, if you want to open your Bibles, you'll find Jonah chapter 4 is where we're at. And we've just finished seeing Jonah half-heartedly preach to the Ninevites. In obedience to God, sure. And the Ninevites in a full heart repent. And God rescues these rebels at their worst. And he brings about a full hearted repentance and all this stuff. And we're all excited that God's relented except for one person. Yep, that's right. Jonah, still with his no Lord attitude, starts to move away. In fact, it begins in verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah is ticked. Jonah is angry. He's ticked because, to be quite honest, in some ways I think he may have felt like he was tricked. You see, Jonah in his half-hearted preaching went out there and he preached this message. You can actually find it in the previous chapter there in verse 4. It says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's, that's his terms. And what's interesting is Jonah thought, as a prophet, I'm preaching this, then Nineveh ought to be destroyed. It should be overthrown, overturned. But here's the thing. That word can be used in two ways. On one side, it can be used to flip, overturn, throw, destroy, or it can be flipped to change the heart, to lead to repentance. And Jonah has walked away, ticked at seeing what was going on, realizing God's going to relent, and that the opposite thing that he expected is now going to happen. Where Jonah wanted judgment, God received repentance. And so Jonah's anger is burning at something particular. Notice these verses. He says, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? He says that, that I, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. These are the reasons we're finally getting them. Why would he run from his calling? Why would he do this stuff? He's saying, listen, here's the problem God I'm mad about. Is that these Ninevites are being set free. Jonah's revealing something. He's revealing a deep hatred, a bigotry even. Maybe even we would say a racism. And what he is doing is he hates these Assyrians. He despises this group. And he is displeased to the point that he believes God has done something evil. In fact, this term, displeased exceedingly, is an is a English translation that you could also roughly state as Jonah saw it as evil, exceedingly evil. He believed what God was doing was wrong. And he exceedingly wrong. There's no way you should forgive these guys, he's thinking. And that's incredible because what Jonah's really ticked about is not necessarily Nineveh. Notice he's ticked about who God is. He's ticked about God's character. He says, I knew that you were gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. These terms are the very terms that we saw a couple weeks ago that God declares to Moses as his name. This is how God describes himself. He actually says, I am the God of mercy. I am the God of faithfulness. I am this God who abounds in steadfast love. I relent from disaster, all these things. And, And Jonah knew this. And his hatred of the Ninevites had led him to be displeased and dislike who God was. See, here's the crazy thing. You can know God and not love him. The demons know God and they don't love him. The demons know all about God. They know all his attributes. They know how gracious he is, but they don't love him. And we can know God. We can understand. We can get theology. We can get all these things. You can even understand that God has saved you, but not like him. You're saying, really? What what are we talking about here? It's true. In fact, there are many people in our world who don't like certain attributes of God, certain ways that God, especially these ones that are displayed. In our world today, Islam would be one of those groups that would say, this is ridiculous. They would agree with Jonah. In fact, people who have a vengeance streak, who long for revenge, be it in a gang world, be it in, in just our current situation where they are like, no forgiveness, justice, revenge only. This is ridiculous. How could God be gracious to a people? How could he be merciful to those who have hurt us so badly? God, what are you thinking? That's wrong. You can't let that murderer go. You can't let that rapist free. You can't let them off. What are you talking about? 
fact, one of the famous uh, talk show radio hosts I used to listen to years ago would bring this up at a debate on Easter. He'd always say, well, what about that murderer who kills someone and the victim goes to hell, but then the murderer repents in jail and goes to heaven? That's fair? And now you see how people can get really bent out of shape that God would be a God of mercy like this. That he would be a God who relents from disaster on these evil Assyrians. Remember what these guys were like. Sticking people on poles, doing horrible things, right? And still, this is who God is. And there are others of us that we think this is awesome. What we would dis disagree with and what we have difficulty with in the Bible is that God would reveal himself as a God of wrath, as a God of, of justice, as a God who would actually bring punishment. We kind of think like, why would God ever do something like that? Why would God, why would God punish anybody? He's a God of love, we, we've heard. And our culture is confused about God and pushing away from God's attributes, one or the other. But God displays himself as he is. And even though Jonah knows it, he can't stand it. He doesn't like it. In fact, in the church, we can see this. There are people I have met who have literally told me, hey, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, so I can do this. And they go on, they sleep with that girlfriend, or they get that divorce, or whatever, they, you know, because they, they really have gotten to this belief that God would never ask me to do something uncomfortable. That's not God. Yes, it is. It's the God who went on the cross. You know, we have people who would say, oh, God would, would never send somebody to hell, or God made me this way, so I, I need to be who I am, even in all my brokenness and all this stuff. Well, even in theology, we can get to this way. I, I myself have wrestled through the attributes of God and these kinds of things with my friends. And I remember small groups where we would talk about God's sovereignty and, and man's free will, and it would get heated and angry. I've talked to people about the, the vision of, of God's justice and these things, and, and we get so intense but my good friend, he, he looked at me and said, you know, what I had to get to was realizing that as God describes himself, is how God describes himself. I can't make God to be who I want him to be. I got to accept God as he's described himself if I'm going to love him. And that's absolutely the truth. See, we don't want to enter into the progressive Christianity that wants to redefine God or redefine his word or redefine sin or redefine hell and all these things because we're uncomfortable. No, we want to know God for who he is. We want to love Christ. Right? We want to love, live, and share our God with this world that he would be known. But in order to really uh, love God, we got to know him. And God revealed his character. God gave us his character that we may love him, not despise him. He's taken the precious time to reveal himself on every page so that we would fall more in love with him, not tell him what he should be. And I just want to challenge us, guys. Let's be the church that when we explore who God is, we fall more in love with him. As you discover more what he's like, you're like, you know what? That God's awesome. That God's incredible. You become more devoted, not less devoted. You become more confident about how he's described himself and why it's true and fair and right and more amazing. And I want to just encourage you that you would do this because if we love him, and it calls you to live for him rightly. And when what we love and what we live for, we share about. What we love and live for, we share about. And Jonah, why he didn't want to share him is he didn't like aspects of who God was. And as we fall more in love with Christ, as we fall more in love with God and who he is and what he's like, man, you're, you're going to find that it begins to open you up to wanting to talk about God and share him with everybody that you know. And that's huge. 
And so I want to encourage you, don't ignore the attributes of God. Don't ignore getting to know God in the Word, but dive in, go deep. In fact, over the summer, we did a whole series on the attributes of God. Maybe you want to go back on our YouTube channel, check, take a look at those and watch those and look at those discussions and begin to dive into a conversation about who is this God and how has he described himself. And you'll find it practical, you'll find it challenging, but also amazing. And thankfully, God doesn't leave Jonah in this place. He's not going to let him just sit there and be mad at him about who he is. God's super gracious. And in fact, what's strange is God just simply asks him a question. He, he turns to him and says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Jonah, is this a good idea? And here's the thing. When God asks a question, we need to stop. Like, if God knows everything and he asks a question, he's doing it on purpose. Don't you think, right? And in the Bible, whenever God asks a question, man, it should pause us because he wants us to answer that question. He wants the person he's asking to answer the question. To be quite honest, he wants us to step back and answer the question as well. He wants us to look at it. I mean, obviously the answer is no, he's not doing well to be angry at God over his attributes. But there's even more here. There's an even deeper piece going on because he's going to ask him again. You can look down on verse 9 in chapter 4. He's going to say, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yeah, I do well to be angry even enough to die. And so Jonah seemed to know what was going on. And so we need to go a little further behind this because this text is actually hyperlinked. It's connected to another text in the Bible, one that you and I probably know pretty well, actually. It's, it happens between the first pair of siblings we meet in all the scriptures. Their name are Cain and Abel, right? You know, back in chapter four of the Bible, Cain and Abel are both the sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain's older and Abel's younger, and Abel works with the flocks, and Cain, he works with the ground, and one day they come to sacrifice the Lord, to worship God. And so Cain brings some of the fruits of the ground, and Abel brings a firstborn and sacrifices it to the Lord. Now the Lord looks at Abel's and likes Abel because he comes with faith, and he comes trusting God's going to receive it. And Cain just comes kind of like, ah, whatever, I'll give this to you, you know, kind of attitude. Well, when God receives what Abel gave and not what Cain gave, Cain gets ticked. He gets angry at his brother. He gets murderously ticked to the point that he will drag him out into a field and kill him. And what we see here is, though, before that happens, God pauses to speak to Cain. And this is what he says to him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Notice some of the similarities. Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It is the it is. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Do you hear what God is saying to Jonah? He's saying, Jonah, are you going to act like Cain? I mean, here the Ninevites have received my blessing, my forgiveness. They're going to follow me. I've relented from disaster. And you're going to be mad about what I have received? You're going to be ticked? To the point that you're going to sit on a hill and wait for them to be destroyed. A murderous heart. Do you do well? And the answer is no, he doesn't do well. And so if you don't do well, sin's crouching at the door. God's giving him a warning. He's saying, listen, do you do well to do this? The answer is no, then sin is crouching at the door. It's taking you over. Which implies something for us. You see, when we find ourselves in the same situations where we are struggling to be okay with what God is doing spiritually in the life of someone else, man, we need to be careful with what's going on. I mean, think about it for a second. 
Are there ever these moments where you've judged the salvation of someone else or thought it was suspicious that they came to Christ because you're like, I knew them back when, and no way, that's not true, or that's a celebrity, they can't do that. I can remember having these moments, being so suspicious that this friend I knew in high school had come to Christ after he'd gone to college and all these things. But sure enough, he had, and sure enough, he follows the Lord to this day. And I had to repent of the fact that I would resist what God was doing in the heart of someone. You know, there are people out there who have these awesome testimonies, and they've been raised in the church, and you kind of feel like, oh, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. I can't believe this. Or, you know, you judge yourself. I mean, you don't want to judge what God is doing. Even worse, let's just be honest, is there's these situations and we want to ask ourselves these questions, this question especially. Are, are there those that your heart has grown so hard towards that I wouldn't even mind seeing them die, even if they didn't know Jesus? Are there people that our hearts have grown hard towards? Ex-spouses, people who've harmed us, other countries, that, you know, we, just, we don't even care that a bunch of them died without Jesus. Have we gotten to that place where our hearts are calloused and hard? And this is my challenge to my own heart where I'm starting to have to ask myself, man, have I put myself in a place where I just don't care that the person died? It doesn't grieve me in some level. It doesn't freak me out that we need to get the gospel to this guy. We need to help out this guy. And that's, look, God didn't bring this question up to condemn. He brought it up to soften our hearts. See, God loves to rescue rebels like me and like you. And so our application is simply this. If you see that, just go, God, soften me to that. Open my heart to that. Don't let me stay there. Move me, please. Because I don't want to remain in this scenario. You love to rescue rebels. You can rescue me in my heart right now. I want to celebrate what you're doing. I don't want to put it down. I want to disciple that guy as he gets out of, the bath, out of that baptismal. I want to get connect with that guy who's raised his hand. I don't want to be afraid. I want to lean in and grab hold. I want to be excited. And that would be the opposite of the no Lord attitude. That would be that soft heart that gets excited. Now, Jonah's not going to have that. He's not going to soften his heart. He's going to, he's going to continue on in his Cain-like attitude. In fact, what's interesting is he goes east as a Cain goes east of Eden after his murder. In fact, Jonah just ignores God and says, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. That's weird. But he goes on, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. In fact, he goes on, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Oh, cute little planty. I'm going to name you plant. You know, whatever. He's like a little weedy or something. He loved this plant. He was super excited about it. It's covering him over. But this is a weird text. Let's just be honest. What in the world is going on? When you see weird, press in. Don't back up. Preston, I mean, first of all, what is he doing? He leaves and he builds a booth. He's just sitting under, why, why not say, you know, he builds a tent? Why, why a booth? 
What's interesting is this points back to something called Sukkot. It was the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, where all of Israel was called in a celebration of their freedom from Egypt to come and gather together in tents again like they did in the wilderness and, and to bring their harvest at the end of the year, to, to celebrate their freedom and all of the stuff. They would, in fact, by Jesus' time, incorporate light and water and all this stuff was a picture of the celebration of the Exodus, of their being set free from Egypt and the grind and God's liberation of them. And there was a gathering of multitudes of people. And what do we get here? No, we get Jonah angry about people being liberated, going up on a hill to be by himself and building a booth. It's satirical. It's ironic. They're trying to make you laugh. Oh, he's, he's celebrating his own little tiny personal booth day. Woohoo! Yeah, everybody repented. I'm ticked. I'm going to have my booth day, you know, my little booth day. Now, here's what's funny. We, as a church, can find ourselves in the middle of our own little booth days. And I've met many, many people over the years who have often come to Olive Branch and left Olive Branch because they've said, oh, we love it here because it's so small and intimate. I came from a larger church, and this seems so much better. I've met people who said, ah, this place is too big. I want a smaller church. And they've left to those smaller churches. And, and to me, I've always wondered why. What, what's the point? What's going on there? Because, well, I'm not opposed to smaller churches. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe that you can be a small church and still be kingdom big-minded. But hey, you're gonna have a strategy about how you're reaching people. The problem that I have is what Jonah has, and he has a small church mindset. He doesn't want to see people saved. He's scared of what this means for the Ninevites. He's not gonna go down there and teach them about the tabernacles and have their own wonderful booth day. They're, he's gonna have his personal little booth day. He wants his own personal time. He wants his own little worship ceremony and everybody else can go away. This is what happens when we're afraid that if the world was to come into the church and bring all their problems, oh my goodness, we're, we're corrupting the church now, and nobody's going to, we, we, we need to be holy and safe in this world, and, and they're evil. And that's not what we're about. We're not about a little mindset where we set up our little booths. And guess what? When that happens, God will make us comfy. He'll give us comforts. We're his people, he'll, he'll give us cover and he'll give us shade. He'll give us great buildings and lots of cool stuff. He'll, he'll pay off our loans and do all that. Yeah, but not, a, but, but not just so we can be comfortable. He, he'll even take those away if we cease to be a part of what he's about. If we turn it into our personal booth day, instead of seeing that God's called us to be a people who are, who are reaching to this world. See, churches grow because they don't build a booth to, and sit and watch the world burn like he's going to. No, churches grow because they build a fire station and run into the fire as firemen to save as many people as we can. We grow because we're not on a cruise ship with comfortable shade. We grow because we are on a aircraft carrier sending people out every Sunday to all parts of the globe to bring the gospel message to save as many as we can. That is the opposite of the Jonah no Lord mentality and his little booth day. No, we want to have a big booth day celebrating with everybody who comes in and bringing everybody we can. Because otherwise, those comforts are going to be about something else. See, he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was super excited about his God-given structure. 
but that's not what God aimed for. See, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Now, worms, crickets, all these things, they're all pictures of judgment, by the way. They destroy crops, they do all that stuff. And this worm attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, implies that it knocked over his little man-made booth, and away it goes. Now he's sitting out there with no booth, nothing. Just him with the scorching hot heat, and he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to, to die than to, than to live. And God said to Jonah, do, do you do well to be angry? He repeats his question. For the plant? And he said, yes, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So deep-seated Jonah's bitterness had become. How deep-seated Jonah's no-lord attitude had mixed into his soul. See, God takes away Jonah's comforts. And Jonah's response is not to repent, it's to resign. See, I'm angry enough to die, right? This, this echoes another scenario where Elijah, the, the prophet, had found himself running from Jezebel. And as he left, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Uh, I'm no better than my father's. Now, what's interesting is Elijah wanted to quit with a similar language because the people had not repented when they saw God do a great work on the mountain in Mount Carmel, right? They, they see this, this bolt of lightning come, burn up this soaked over sacrifice, and the people are like, they're taking out the Baals, but then nobody repents. Jonah's sulking and quitting because he preaches a, a simple sermon in an entire Assyrian city turns to the Lord. Jonah is just flipped upside down. He's backwards. He's angry. He's upset. And he's trying to reveal to us that we can have a, a, a calloused attitude about the works of God. We can have a calloused attitude because of our comforts. Jonah's upset to the point of quitting now because God took away his little favorite plant, Weedy, right? It, it grew up, it covered, it's all gone. Mr. Wormy killed Mr. Weedy and it was all over. But here's the thing. When Mr. Wormy come and kills Mr. Weedy in your life, how do you respond? When your comforts are removed, when everything that you were leaning on, that you thought were blessings from God is suddenly gone, did we respond in repentance or did we respond in resignation? And this is hard for me. To be honest, it's hard for me when, when things go wrong, when things start falling apart, when I fear my comforts are going to be gone. Am I going to get up and, and engage what God's calling me to do? Am I going to press in and, and go after sharing Christ with those that he's seeking after? Or am I going to just back up and, and weep? And I have to this day the regret that I have a tendency to focus on my comforts. My old house was a pretty messy place. I've been pretty broken up, had a bunch of problems. I've talked about it a lot. And I spent years fixing up that house, years trying to stop things from breaking and leaking and falling and all that stuff. That whole time, I had a neighbor two doors down that I never met. And one day I found out that he had died and nobody knew on the block for two whole days. And it was because we never did our job and engaged our neighbors. We never did our job for why God put us on that block. I was so busy with my comforts trying to keep that Mr. Weedy from being eaten by Mr. Wormy 
that I missed out on the man down the street who needed the gospel. And this text has brought this back to me. I don't want to do that anymore. Guys, I want to be a church that wants to share the gospel online with your neighbors who are in their homes right now, who are, who are panicking about what does it mean in this world. Man, we have a message for them. We have a God of hope who wants to give them faith. We, we have a God who, who gives us these comforts to remind us of his goodness to us and that he wants to bring that goodness to others. See, your house and your television, this internet, all of this that you get to have right now, the safety you have, is not so that you can just hold on to it. He, he, he's giving it to you to remind you that God is good to us and he loves us. And from that love, we want to respond by giving that love away to others to share Christ with everyone we can wherever we go that they may know him and then receive the same goodness, amen, church. Man, that's what we need to be, getting out there because God has given us a vision to love Him, to live for Him, to share Him. And so we need to get past the no Lord attitude because God is seeking these people. He loves these people and He challenges our hearts to change and He wants to see their hearts change. And so it's no wonder He turns to Jonah with one final sentence, one final question. And the Lord said to Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left, and also many cows? Right? So, so all these people don't have any moral direction. They don't know the right from their left. They don't know the truth from the, from the falsehood and all the cows. Well, at least, praise God, the cows repent, right? You know, yes, thank you, Chick-fil-A. We repent, right? The cows are good. They've, they've repented. But here's the point for us, guys. We want to be a people who see that God isn't ignoring our enemies. He's pursuing them. He is not trying to crush them. Uh, Christ loves humanity like Jonah loved the plant. We need to love humanity like Jonah loved the plant. We need to be after bringing the gospel to humanity like Jonah was passionate about the plant. See, God loves you and me like Jonah loved that plant. He was upset that he was willing to do something about it. See, our friends around us, they don't always know his ways. They don't know what Jesus, they don't know the right hand from their left. They, they, they have animals and pets that their lives would even be changed because of the way they care and the way they would act. Guys, we need to move forward and get away from our hates. Jonah was a bigot. Jonah was angry. God saying, you don't have to be that way. You don't, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to want vengeance on these people. You don't have to want to crush your political opponent. You don't have to make sure that the, that person who has a different ideology than you dies. We're not fighting flesh and blood. They're not our enemies. And God gives us a way to be transformed. He gives us a way to deal with these things. You see, first, He calls us just to identify that sin of hatred. Maybe there it's there. Maybe there is some, some bigotry, some hatred, some anger some racism. There's a group of sinners, a group of people, a particular person who's harmed you in such a way that you need to say, I, I need to identify this. And when you identify that, I want you to take it, I want you to write it down. I want you to identify and put it on a piece of paper. Because you need to be able to 
state this, whether it's you're angry at BLM or you're angry at white nationalists or you're angry at uh, you know Antifa or you're, you're Proud Boys or you hate you know the the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, the Libertarians, you name it, the the communists, ah, the Chinese, you could whatever. Write it down. Write it down. Because God's pursuing these people. He loves these people. And so when we write that down, we then pray for them. We need to pray for them every day. So maybe you just make a check mark next to them every day you pray. And you're praying for their salvation. And you're praying for them to know Christ. You're praying for them to have a moment in which the true God of the universe meets them. And then guys, look, look for God to start working. Look for those options. You may not be called to reach that person who's harmed you or that abuser or that family member. That, that may not be your call. In fact, many of you won't be called those people, but you're called to pray for them. And here's the thing, but you may be the one who lives on the street of somebody else's abuser, of somebody else's hated person. And guess what? You may be the one God uses to reach them because he's seeking them. And you're there to bring the message, to share Christ wherever you go. This is the awesome part of asking God for a soft heart. We're just asking him, God, in my worst place, and the thing that I'm the most difficult with, soften me here and he will soften you up and all the others. And we have the opportunity to see the way forward, to be praying for those to have every opportunity. And our church won't become a little booth day. It'll become a big open-armed celebration of the transformation of people's lives as they come into the church. We will be excited because we won't say no, Lord. We'll be yes, Lord, yes, Lord, over and over and over again. Now, Maybe you're wondering, oh, that's how it ends? With cows repenting? That, that's it? Yeah. Well, what about Jonah? Well, what happened to him? We're not quite sure. We don't know if he actually changed his mind and began to realize, hey, I need to be more like my Lord. But I have a sneaking suspicion that he might have gotten the message because he wrote the book. You see, the book of Jonah is like Hebrew literature. All of this book it is not written to consume and to take in. It's written to meditate on. It's actually written to be read several times through because each time you go through it, just like if you'd ever watched Sixth Sense, the second time you go through it, you're like, oh my goodness. That's what these books are like. The more times you read through it, the more things stand out and the more you realize the sophistication because there are things that are repeated in the book and those things you need to be aware of. I've tried to point some of those out to you. There are some things that are linked to other parts of the Bible and they have meaning. And I've tried to point those out to you. And then there are those weird things that are just weird, like a poem stuck in the middle of a belly of a fish in the middle of a book. That is the Hebrew author trying to capture your attention. And what's the conclusion of that poem? What's the conclusion in the whole of that? Well, that's what Jonah probably wanted us to see the second time through. The first time you can read this very poem is like, you know, those who pay regard to vain idols, yeah, they forsake their hope and steadfast love. <laughs> dumb, dumb pagans. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then you read it through. You see God challenges him. And then you realize this poem's in past tense. And suddenly you realize that's a truth. Yeah, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But the pagans didn't on the boat. The Assyrians didn't in Nineveh. In fact, the only person who did would have been Jonah. 
And yet he's saying here, I realize that's the problem. I'm going to celebrate God with thanksgiving and sacrifice because I'm going to pay what I vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the beauty. We know salvation belongs to the Lord because many centuries later, the Lord would come in flesh. He who had every right to resist his enemies, he who had every right to build his own booth, to sit in heaven and let us rot, he instead came to this earth and he warned us with his own message. He said, Jesus himself said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross because he was willing to make the sacrifice for me, for you, and for everyone he's seeking, all of our neighbors, all these people, he gave us a sign of his resurrection. He gave us a sign of him overcoming death. He gave us the sign, the sign of Jonah, that he has overcome death. He has come back to life. He is life himself. He is not Jonah. He is the one who has welcomed the nations and welcomed every ethnicity, considered none of us his enemies, and he has overcome the spiritual lies and powers of this world to call us to himself. You see, on that cross, he bore our sins. On that cross, he rescued us rebels from hell because he was willing to bear it. And three days later, he rose from the dead to give us new life. Here's the beauty. All you have to do is give your allegiance to Jesus. You got to follow him. And he rescues you from death. He rescues you from hell because he bore it on himself. Trust him today. Follow after him today. Make your allegiance today. Make that declaration right now. The way you do that is just let somebody know right there in that um, in the side scroll, or you can simply text begin to the number at the bottom of the screen, and you're making the declaration, I am following Jesus today. I am beginning after him. My allegiance is with him who died to bear my sins and rose from the dead. He's given me what I need. I'm ready to say goodbye to the no Lord attitude. I follow him. I hope that's where we're all at today. And if you do make that decision, let us know. We want to help you begin to walk with Christ and know what that means to follow after our Lord. And we're excited that you would join with us. Otherwise, church, let's get that message out there. It's an awesome opportunity to push away the no Lord attitude, to pick up these cards that we're going to use or pick up these, um, these papers. We're asking God to soften our heart and for 30 days, ask him to move us and see what God begins to do. I pray that he will do that with you. So why don't we go ahead and pray? Father, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for the challenge to overcome our no Lord attitudes. And wherever that is, shape us, move us, motivate us. You have shown us yourself that we may love you. And you have given us your presence that we may live for you. And God, now help us to share you with everyone, even those people we may not want to, that you would be known in Jesus' name. Amen.